Morning, good morning. How's everyone doing? I feel like tough acts to follow. I don't have a dance prepared, and I don't look as cute as our shepherds and angels, but hopefully you get something out of this. So please uh, bow your heads and pray with me for a moment. God, just get me out of the way here. Um, I pray that you would speak through me, that your word would be known, your truth would be known, and resonate in our hearts today. Um, and I pray that you would be with, with everyone here, whatever everyone walked through the door with, Lord, I pray that they leave a little bit lighter knowing that they can surrender it to you. So be with us in this time, God. In your name we pray. Amen. So I am Joanne. Um, my husband and I have been members of MAC for nine years now. Um, and we have a two-year-old who you might have seen up here. He's been attending MAC for two years. Um, and as Leon mentioned, I'm, I currently serve as a member of the Women's Leadership Council, and I really appreciate you spending your Sunday morning here, uh, especially since I just learned that the World Cup is on right now, and you are here, so thank you for being here. I love it. Uh, this year, we are looking at the story of Jesus through the prophets. So this is the fourth week in our Advent series called Echoes of Jesus, where we're examining the coming, the coming of Jesus through the lens of the prophets. Do I need to adjust this a little bit? Okay, okay. Um, yeah, so over the last few weeks, we've heard about joy, peace, hope, and today we're going to talk about love. So I'm going to start with a story, because um, now that I have a toddler, I'm never short of sermon illustrations. Um, my husband and I both work outside of the home during the day, and our son goes to daycare. So it was a little nerve-wracking at first to start. We were new parents. He's our very first kid, and previously his only other long-term caregivers were our parents and Auntie Laura Demers. So the bar is very high. And one day, I remember being at work, typing away, and then suddenly I get a message from daycare. Jude fell and hit his head, and there's a bruise. We applied ice and gave him hugs. Everything in me flared with panic and anger. Ice and hugs, that's it? You call yourselves child care providers? Again, as our first kid, I had no idea. It's very normal for toddlers to fall and hit their heads about a few times a week. Um, but in the moment, I was so upset, and I started making up narratives in my head about how his teachers were just sitting on their iPads all day, chatting with each other, neglecting my child as he wreaked havoc all over the classroom. Not my best self, I know. Uh, eventually I learned this was a normal part of toddlers growing up, and I came to see his teachers as the kind, compassionate, and thoughtful humans that they are. But that day, I was livid. How could they let this happen? So jump with me to the Old Testament. See, the prophets of the Old Testament were responsible for speaking God's truth to people. We're going to start in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a priest who, along with many other Jewish people, was exiled from Jerusalem. And Ezekiel saw the people of Israel in some of their worst moments. He spends the first part of his book accusing Israel of being unfaithful in their marriages, rejecting God's commands, worshiping other idols. Um, not great stuff that they're doing. So we're going to start with Ezekiel 34. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, which should be by your knees in the pews in front of you. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 10 should be 
page 722 in the Black Bible and 857 in the Blue Bible. So Ezekiel 34, 1 through 10. Ezekiel says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophecy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds. Clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice pasture. Oops. Slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. Raise your hand if you've ever watched over sheep before. Nate, Candace, Gary, no, okay. Me neither, but I read this passage and I thought maybe God might have felt a little bit of what I was feeling towards the daycare teachers. What are you doing, Israel? You're supposed to be caring for your sheep. You're supposed to be watchful, nurturing, protective, healing to one another. And instead, the sheep are wandering everywhere. They're on a road trip to Chicago. They're up north eating cherries. They're eating lobster at rooster tail. Can you please keep track of them and make sure that they are cared for? And instead, the people of Israel are completely self-absorbed. They're only taking care of themselves. They're not caring for the sick or the injured. They're wandering spiritually and physically due to the exile, and nobody's doing anything about it. It's easy to be harsh on Israel reading this, you know, get it together, Israelites. But let's think about this again. Does this sound familiar to you? Not caring for the poor, more focused on hoarding your own resources instead of caring for others, focusing on getting mine and not helping other people. Ouch. I can think of several moments from this week alone where I chose myself over others. What about you? Now, however harsh he sounds, Ezekiel also writes to restore hope in God's people. So check out verses 11 through 16. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country." 
I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of the sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Now, this image reminds me of the peaceful garden that Pastor Chris described a couple weeks ago. The pastures are green, the land is good, and the sheep are cared for. The sheep are loved. The sheep can rest. If you could use some rest, say amen. Hundreds of years after Ezekiel was written, a baby is born, and his name is Jesus. Now, Jesus confuses a lot of people because he's not exactly what they expected. The people of Israel, remember, they were just exiled. They were expecting power, might, strength, and instead God sends a baby, the most vulnerable form any human could possibly take, a baby. This is the shepherd but then when you look at Jesus' teachings, you can begin to see a little peek into what God was doing by sending Jesus. In Mark 12, 28 through 31, a teacher of the Jewish law asks Jesus, testing him to see if he knows what he's talking about. Verse 28 says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked him, which commandment is most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6.5 correctly here, so I imagine the teacher thinks, okay, good, he knows what he's talking about. But then... Jesus says, the second is this, in verse 31, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. See, previously, Israel had heard these two commands separately. Loving your neighbor was a command in a long list in Leviticus next to commands like don't steal, harvest this way, cut your hair this way. It was one of many laws to follow. But in this moment in Mark, Jesus connects and elevates both commands as the two most important commandments ever. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. This is a big deal. If I'm being honest with myself, I think there's a huge part of me that wants this to say, love your neighbor as yourself unless it's awkward, inconvenient, or burdensome. But unfortunately, that's not what this says. Jesus says, Love your neighbor as yourself, then drops the mic. But what does this kind of love even mean? We talk about loving Sister Pie. I love Marvel movies. I also love my husband. They're not the same kind of love. Um, and it's tough to translate in English. So here's what's happening in the Bible when the word love is used. So the Old Testament used Hebrew. The word is ahava. It could mean Love of a friend, love of your family, romantic love, covenant loyalty. Um, Jesus often taught in Aramaic and probably used the word rachma. But Jesus' followers then write about Jesus' teachings and translate this word into Greek and use the word agape. 
Now, Jesus' followers didn't have Bible Gateway or some translation tool where they could look up the definition of the word to make sure they got it right. So instead, we have to look at Jesus' life to understand what he meant by agape love and what he modeled. Throughout his ministry, he demonstrates it. He heals the sick. He washes his disciples' feet. He dines with the outcasts and the popular people, the people on the fringes of society and the ones in power like the tax collectors and Pharisees. Or, to bring this to today, Jesus would be the guy healing you if you tested positive for COVID and all your friends had to social distance. Jesus would be present. Or after a long day, after you've snapped at your friends, snapped at your family, or done a thousand selfish things at work, despite it all, Jesus has prepared a bubble bath for you. Think of the people you avoid eye contact with on the street. Think of the people you've distanced yourself from because of their personality, their lifestyle, whatever it is. Think of your worst enemy. They could all be sitting around the table with Jesus breaking bread. And so can you. Jesus loves this way, knowing what's at risk. Social exclusion, sure, but also violence, death. This is what Jesus risked by loving how he loved. That is agape love, to love sacrificially. Not just to feel a particular way in one passing moment, but to act. To love as a verb, full stop. Jesus is the shepherd that Ezekiel was talking about. He cares for his flock. He doesn't hoard resources for himself and neglect the people around him, but instead he sacrifices his time, his energy, and his very life to lead people to spaces of healing, connection, rest. This is not easy. The people of Israel, again, were expecting a mighty warrior to save them. They expected their problems to be solved by power, and instead what they got was a baby full of love. See, I, for me, it can often be easier to connect to moments of Jesus' adult life. After all, this is where we have the most documentation of how he lived. Uh, but the more I engage with the story of Jesus' life, the more I am moved, amazed, and frankly unsettled by God choosing to be with us as a child. Could you imagine anything more vulnerable can you imagine what that was for God to depend on others to feed him and to clothe him? I look at my two-year-old son, and he can't reach the countertop on his own. He needs to ask us if he wants a glass of water or a snack. And when he was a baby, he couldn't even ask. He just cried and cried, hoping and trusting that we would respond. And yet God trusted us and used us to nurture and care for his own son. So as we look to Jesus' life as the model of how to live out God's agape love, we see step one, be vulnerable. God came to be with us as an infant, and you can't love others all the way from a high horse. Loving means putting yourself at risk. 1 Corinthians 13 is quoted at so many marriage ceremonies because it, it defines love for us. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Love is not proud. Be vulnerable. Now, as I prepared for this sermon, 
I got distracted by Facebook, I'm just being vulnerable. And in my profile section, I stumbled upon an old quote that was very meaningful to me in high school when I updated my Facebook. Uh, <laughs> although I grew up going to church, I wouldn't say I truly owned my faith until I was, as a Christian, until I was in high school. And in this season of my life as a fresh Christian, I was so compelled by the Christian ethic of love. It didn't make any sense in the world. Why would you sacrifice yourself on behalf of others? Why would you risk all of that? And during this time in my life, I posted one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis, who's a Christian theologian, also known for writing the Chronicles of Narnia. And he wrote, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. What love are you withholding because you are afraid of being broken? Number two, be loved. And if I'm being honest with myself, I have a lot of fears that keep me from loving. I can be afraid that after all the time and energy spent sacrificially loving someone, someone won't love me back. I'm afraid that if I, I am vulnerable, I'll be judged. I'm afraid that if I do the hard work of love, which sometimes means telling someone a hard truth, they won't like me anymore, let alone love me. I'm afraid that I'll look weak. I'm afraid that I won't be right. And the common theme in all of these fears, I'm concerned for myself and making sure that I stay loved. I'm like the, shel the selfish shepherds that Ezekiel refers to, sometimes so focused on my own resources, my own well-being, to the extent of ne neglecting those around me. But when I ground myself in Christ's love, in the truth of what Jesus did, I'm reminded that I and you and you and you are part of a story much bigger than ourselves. It's not just about me. It's not just about you. We can be, if you choose, a part of God's mission to love the world. And that's the miracle that Jesus offers us. When you realize you are so loved already by the creator and perfecter of love, you don't need to worry about being loved in return. You are already loved perfectly and completely by God. And because you are loved, you can go on to love others without fear. There is nothing that anyone can do to make you, feel, to make you any less loved by God. I'll say that again. There is nothing that anyone can do to make you any less loved by God. You are already loved perfectly and completely. So say with me out loud, I am loved. Say it again, I am loved. I hope that sits in your heart for a while. Be loved by God so that you can love others without fear. Number three, be present. Another quote that I loved when I first became a Christian, just treasure trove on my Facebook here, um, was from the writer Anne Lindbergh. She wrote, 
It is fear, I think, that makes one cling nostalgically to the last moment or clutch greedily toward the next. It can only be exercised by its opposite, love. When the heart is flooded with love, there is no room in it for fear, for doubt, for hesitation. Are you withholding love because you're afraid of something from your past? Or are you afraid of what the future could bring if you choose to love? Be present here, now. Look at Jesus. He knew he was going to die for the very people that he was loving. How much more anxious of a circumstance could you possibly have? He knew he would die a painful, violent, and public death, and yet still broke bread with people who would later betray him. He still had rich conversations with people, was present in their homes, at their weddings, on their deathbeds, in their moments of sin and selfishness. He was so present. He paid attention. He saw people's needs. He paid attention. I would say this is the bare minimum to loving someone. You have to pay attention. So what does this mean for us? Some ideas. Get off your phones. Two people are like, oh, I'm so exposed right now. <laughs> Get off your phones. How could you possibly love someone, see their needs, sacrificially care for those needs while you're playing Candy Crush? Be okay with being uncomfortable. Sometimes loving one another means being a little awkward. Sometimes there's silence. Sometimes we totally overstep. That is okay. That is part of the messy love that we bring to the table as human beings. Another reminder, full circle, to be vulnerable. If you're anxious about the past, if you're worried about the future, be honest with yourself so you can deal with that, get it out of the way, and love. Be honest with the people around you so that you can heal. Allow yourself to be cared for. Allow yourself to be loved, too. That's part of being present in community. Now, I can't leave you with a sermon on loving others without also talking about boundaries. We know now, which for a long time, many of us didn't acknowledge openly in Christian community, that mental, emotional, and spiritual health are all deeply connected. How do we love others healthily? Well, when you go to love someone as a verb, like most situations with God, aka our entire lives, check your heart. Are you saying yes or doing this because you actually care about the well-being of the other person? Or are you doing this because you want them to like you? Are you saying yes now only to feel self-righteous and resentful later? Look at all the things I did for them. Where's your heart? Is it actually focused on you or on the other person? I know firsthand that people-pleasing is sometimes one of the most selfish, self-preserving endeavors. So check your heart, because this is not love. But if you truly care for someone and you want their needs to be met, that is a place of love. There will always be a tension here. Know that you are loved already. You cannot earn any more love from God or from other people. Know when to say no and give yourself permission to rest in God the shepherd and his green pastures. Jesus himself took time away from the people he served to be with God, to pray, to be restored. That is okay. Also, number four, peppering some points in, be selfless. Don't be afraid of sacrificing your time, your energy, and your comfort for other people. Don't be afraid of extending yourself a little bit. 
getting a little less sleep, feeling a little or a lot uncomfortable to sacrificially care for others. Be a good shepherd. Care for one another. Stop thinking about yourself. Look around the room at your community here. Yep, whoever you just made awkward eye contact with, I wonder what they're going through. I wonder how they might need a little more love. And if you're here, you should know that Mac Ave Community Church has got your back. Raise your hand if you've ever received a meal from someone in this church. Amen. If you are going through something, if you're extending yourself, overextending yourself to care for other people and you feel like you have nothing left, I have seen how God shows up through God's people. You do need to be vulnerable and willing to ask for help, but know that God will care for you too. We've got you. God's got you. Don't be afraid to love others sacrificially, and don't be afraid to allow your community to care for others, care for you as you care for others. You can give love in abundance because Jesus does for you. From his birth through his life on earth, Jesus was vulnerable, present, selfless, and exuded the love of God so that we can understand what agape love really means. This is what Christmas, celebrating Christ's birth, is about. Hope, joy, peace, and love. So this Advent season, look around your dining table. Think about who isn't there and who might need a little more love. Be present with the people who are there, even if it's uncomfortable. God is the best shepherd. He'll pursue you, search for you, and give you rest. Praise God that we don't have to look anywhere else for love. Praise God that we can now go forward into our lives full of the love that he freely gives and offering it to others. Love because you are loved. Thank you. finished I'd be okay with that um that type of applause but since that was Joanne and she just brought it can we get a little bit come on now amen <laughs> praise the Lord sister thank you it, it when you hear someone say something like that it, where does it take your mind like can, can you imagine what our world would look like if we all applied those principles let's just say we applied three out of the four right let's just say we were all a bit more present, a bit more vulnerable, a bit more loving, and we struggled a little bit with selflessness. Still would be an amazing world. Or let's say you, you were selfless, loved, vulnerable, but struggled a little bit with being present. That, that dang iPhone got you a little. Okay? So let's, let's hear what our sister said. Let's try to walk in it in our own ways. And that's some of the beauty of Christmas, right? Like, like we see uh, these men present gifts to Jesus, and each of them has a different gift that they present. And I think that's indicative of each of us being created and uniquely made to actually offer worship unto the Lord in our own way, but it's still an expectation of all of us. And so my sister gave us all some tools to be able to work on, some, some strategies, some Christ-centered living that we can do, but I pray you wouldn't hear that with a weight of guilt. Oh man, look at four more things I'm not doing well. No, 
the spirit of it is, wow, look at four more ways that God can empower me out of his strength, not my own, to be able to serve. Because if you have a friend, if you have a coworker, if you have a child, it's going to take Jesus to help you to be patient. Somebody, somebody, come on. Sometimes I'm in the mirror like, dude, how am I going to be patient with you? You know, like, it takes the Lord. Amen? Amen. So, sister, thank you for the word to spur us on. And our hope is that that you would hear these words and it would lead you into a new opportunity. Either a new opportunity to walk with the Lord individually or lead you to be a person that already has faith and take some steps. If you are already walking with Jesus, we pray, okay, we just equipped you to walk. But if you're a person that says, man, like I hear her talking about these things, but I understand now that it's rooted in Jesus, and I need to follow Christ. I need to accept Jesus into my heart. I need to actually believe that Jesus is the Lord of everything. And in me submitting to who he is, I get to thrive. I get to flourish. I get to actually be who he created me to be, and I get to walk in some of these beautiful values. If that's who you are, if you're a person here today that's like, hey, I want to live for Christ. And I don't know what all of that means. I don't know what it all looks like, but I know it means me not leading my own life and me submitting my life unto Christ. If that's where you would like to, to, to take a step in your life, I ask that you just close your eyes. Actually, I ask everybody to close your eyes for a minute because this is not anyone looking at anyone else to see what they're doing. And simply repeat this prayer with me if you want to accept Jesus as the Lord of your life. You can say it verbally or internally in your heart. Jesus, I believe you are good. I know that I'm in need of you and that my sin breaks your heart. You gave your life so that sin would not take me over, but so that I can be free to live for you. Today, I want to do that, Jesus. Fill me that I might live for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you are present or if you are.